Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going to be beginning in uh, verse 14. Uh, interesting text, uh, but by, let's just look at a little bit of review. If you'll remember with me, um, we had two Joashes, right? Ruling at the same time, verse 10, 13, 10. It says, in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah. Now remember, Judah is the southern tribes. We had the splitting of the tribes. And Judah is the southern tribe where Jerusalem is still at. It became known when you're reading through this as Judah. And then we had Joash, the son of Jehoaz, became king over Israel in Samaria. Now Israel is the northern tribes. So when we're going through this, we always remind you that when it says Judah, it's the southern tribe, one tribe, maybe a little bit of Benjamin. And then when it says uh, Israel, it's talking about the rebellious tribes that followed Jeroboam and, and rebelled against Rehoboam, Solomon's son, after Solomon died. And so now you have the northern tribes, which is probably 11 tribes, maybe 11 and a half tribes. And they're worshiping these gold calves. Because after they went there, Jeroboam said, wait a minute, everybody's going to run back down to Jerusalem to worship, so let me set up these gold calves in a couple places, and then they can go there and worship the calves. And it says in Samaria, because that was the place where they built the palace. We went through this, and I think it was First Kings. They built a palace there. They began to rule there, Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, and so now we have two names. Now, isn't that interesting, though, that on this throne at the same time for three years, Three years, because we know that Joash of Judah, he only ruled 40 years, the number of judgment. So in the 37th year, we got a Joash that comes on the northern tribes. So for three years, we have kings that are the exact same name on both tribes, the, the Judah and Israel in the north. And it's interesting because really, and it means given by God, Joash means given by the Lord or given by Jehovah. And it's interesting that the Bible says, let me just read it, it's Psalms 106, 15, um, that God, and he gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their souls. When you continue to pursue something long enough, you keep seeing, you know what God's standard is, you know what God's word says, you know what his righteousness is, but you continue to pursue it. The Bible says that God will give it to you. But it will bring leanness to your soul. It's going to kill your relationship with God. doesn't mean dead, dead, dead. But it brings leanness to your soul. When you continue to pursue what you want to pursue, it will harm you. God wants you to intentionally, with intentionality, pursue him. And what's my point? Here's my point. The southern tribes were serving God godly kings and then they started trying to make peace with the northern tribes Jehoshaphat began it they're trying to make peace with the northern tribes for the sake of peace the northern tribes are apostate the northern tribes are worshiping golden calves the northern tribes are underneath Baal worship and the southern tribe goes over and starts trying to make peace with them and they end up trapped and now both kings have the same name now you can't tell the two apart. Now they're both coming to the same place of bondage and apostasy. It happens if you do not know what your identity is, 
you can actually follow the standard of the world because the church looks so much like the world. And even though it, even though, listen, the name is Joash and it means given by the Lord, it can look just like the apostate church because you want to be at peace with them. See, if you're following God, you don't want to follow man. Because if you're supposed to be following God and you turn from God to follow the example of that man, you've turned away from God. You have to be very careful with this. And that's why, again, as we just talked about, it's not just the instruction of the word. It's not just the reading of the word. It's a love relationship with God where you're the bride of Christ. And you desire to follow God because you come to God because the Spirit of God convicted you that you were separated from God. You were a sinner on your way to hell. And you realize that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you desire to trust God and change and start to follow God. But see, much of the church, they've been lied to, a false bill of goods. And they just said, well, if you say a prayer, you get to go to heaven. And they're looking to have the whole world and God also. And you can't hang on to both. You're going you're gonna to love the one and hate the other. You can't do both. You have to put everything in one place. And you're either going to follow God. Or you're going to fear man and follow the example of an apostate church. Here, an apostate nation. See, because so go the kings, so go the nation. These people are following the leaders. They're following man. They're becoming like men because it's the standard set up in front of them. This is what success looks like. Follow the American dream. This is what godliness looks like. Health, wealth, and prosperity. It looks like material goods. It looks like a, you dress up in nice suits and you go to church. Nothing wrong with doing some of these things, but if it's not the standard that God has set, it can lead you into a snare, into a trap where you feel like you're okay because you're looking at the wrong standard. You're looking at the wrong place. And the southern tribes began to want to have peace with the rest of their brethren and be in fellowship with them more than they wanted to follow God and his standard. And, of course, again, we see the epitaph of what the northern king was, no matter what their name was. Jehoash, king over Samaria, reigned 16 years. Verse 11, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. What did the evil look like? He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, following idols, following the golden calves, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but he walked in them. He continued to walk in the same thing. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did in his might, with which he fought against Amaziah. See, we're not, we haven't read this yet. What's, it's given us some, some, uh, some history of what went on, but we're not going to see him fight Amaziah until chapter 14. See, because for three years, Joash and Joash is on the throne. But you're going to see that he died here. Uh, Amaziah, king of Judah, are not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. 13, then Joash rested with his fathers. Then Jeroboam sat on the throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. 
So we're told about that, but really his fight and his battle that he had with uh, Amaziah is not till chapter 14. We're going to see that uh, possibly in our next lesson next week, uh, God willing. And we're going to see the same thing. We were told that Joash is off the throne uh, uh, in the southern tribe, but we're going back to it again here in the next verse, verse 14. Elisha. Remember Elisha? Takes a long time because we haven't heard about him since chapter 9. <clears throat> chapter 9, when he anointed Jehu as, well, he sent a prophet to anoint Jehu. And we haven't heard it, for, and, and, and Bible historian says it's been 45 years since we hear anything from him. I think it's only been 40, but I'm just telling you what they said. I thought it was only during uh, Joe Ash's reign, but there must have been five years where uh, somebody else reigned. But anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, 40 would be the number of judgment. I like that better than 45, but... I digress. Here's Elisha. Now, Elisha, remember, he was the, the replacement, for lack of a better word. He was the one that followed the apprentice of Elijah. And Elijah meant the Lord is God, but Elisha means uh, God is salvation. The Lord is God and God is salvation. Is that enough for you? That's all we need to know. Those two prophets... And what does the prophet do? The prophet brings the word of God. And these nations have been going apostate. The northern tribes, Israel, they've been apostate, worshiping golden calves. Now the southern tribes have been following them instead of God's word. So there's no real concern or no real hearing about the prophet for 40-some years. We don't hear about the prophet because nobody's in the word of God. What's the New Testament say? 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this that in the last days, perilous times will come. Well, it means a reduction in strength. Where's the perilous times coming from? People not knowing the word of God. People ignoring the word of God. People following the wrong standard. So perilous times where people are in peril. They're afraid. They're in fear. They do everything except listen to God. And we have the same thing here. And so it tells us that Elisha becomes sick. He's got a malady, this illness in which he would die. So we know that now that this sickness is to death. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. People of faith don't die, do they? Right? Doesn't the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teach you that if you just have faith, you don't get sick? If you just have faith, you don't get sick? Well, wait a minute. Death is the end of sickness. Death is the end of deterioration of the body being sick. Listen to me for a minute. We have to compare it all to the Word of God. If you look at Hebrews 11, it says these all died in faith. And people today will try to convince you that you don't have faith if you get sick. You don't have faith if you, if, if you die over a disease. It's just, it's just a bunch of lies to get you to follow their standard and send, you, send your money to them. And to believe in their ministry, and it's a lying ministry, they might as well be worshiping golden calves because they're liars. But they're wanting you to join their lifestyle because it really does look nice if you could wear a $10,000 suit, if you could drive Bentleys, if you could, if you could do all these things, have your own private jets. It might appeal to your flesh really good. It doesn't appeal to my flesh. I'd rather be out shooting skunk. 
Listen, so Elisha becomes sick with an illness, <coughs> and he's going to die. We haven't heard of him in 45 years. No real significant influence on the people for a long time. Then Joash, the king of Israel, now we, we're being identified which one it is, right? Israel is the northern tribes. Israel came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and their horsemen. So he comes down. Now listen, think about it. Apostate king, not worshiping God. He comes down and shows respect to the word of God, the prophet of God, the one who brings the word of God. But he's got no respect for God. See, he knows the word, he sees the word, but he's not obeying the word. You got to get this because the prophet always brings the word of God. In the Old Testament, the prophet was who God spoke to. He'd bring the word of God to the people. New Testament, you have the word of God. And when you're being prophetic, you're foretelling the word of God. God has already said it. He's already said it with the prophets, and they just bring it to him. He's already said it in the Bible. The pastor or the, the, the one who is foretelling the word of God just brings out what God's saying. There's no difference in Old Testament and New Testament in that sense. It's still the word of God. But notice, he's respecting the prophet, the one who brings the word of God, but he's not obeying God. And you can actually respect the church, respect the pastor, respect the culture, respect the standard, respect and know some of the word of God and never come to God, never follow God, not obey God. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's not enough to just know the letter of the law. There has to be a relationship with the word of God where you're learning to turn your heart toward home and obey the word of God. But this one comes down, and he pays great respect. He's weeping, weeping, because Elijah's sick, and everybody knows this is unto death. And then he shows him great respect by saying, my father, my father. And then he says, the chariots, it's plural in the New King James. In the King James, it's not plural, because it's line by line, verse it, it, it's the exact same thing that in chapter 2, Elisha said when Elijah went up in the chariot. He said the same thing. You can look at it. It's in chapter 2, verse 12. Let's look back. 2 Kings 2, 12. It's a, it's a repeat of it because of death. I, don't, I, I mean, some people have said that it's the respect that Joash is paying because he knows where the strength of Israel's lying at is in the prophet's words. And we're going to see the laying on of hands here and the prophet, but never coming to God, never trusting God, never getting rid of the golden calf. Look at 2.12. Elisha has to be there in order to get a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He needs to see Elijah leave. And Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen. And he was taken. Now it's interesting because a lot of ideas can come out of this. But you're looking back. He's sick. Joash is saying it. Is Joash just repeating the testimony of what happened when Elijah was taken? 
Now, if you remember, remember the, the, the young kids were mocking Elisha? The young kids said, get on up out of here, bald head. And they were really saying, you go up in a chariot. You get out of here. And uh, he called a curse down on them. Fifty of them died because they were mocking him. It was time for him to have life, not to die. He wasn't trying to follow Elijah. He was trying to follow God. He was trying to be led by God. And many times we'll follow man. We'll afraid that I'm afraid that I might offend the pastor. I'm afraid that I might offend my boss. I'm afraid. What about offending God? Why don't we go past man? Are we offended an offense to God? If we're still an offense to God, we may be on our way to hell. The only way not to be an offense to God is through the blood of Jesus. And now if we're not offensive to God and we've received the blood of Jesus, now we should begin to build a love relationship and go, this is amazing. I can be right with God because we didn't even know it. He came out of nowhere and convicted us and let us know that we were sinners and we needed a Savior. And he gave us grace to say yes. We're going to see that in the text, grace and compassion that he has. Listen to me. Elisha's sick. He's going to die. Many people, see, the prophet represents the word of God. Many people, the, the, the word of God is sick in their hearts. The word of God is sick in their life. The word of God is there, but it's sick, and it's going to die if they don't do something with it. You cannot continue to eat old bread. You have to sit down and have a personal relationship and get involved and do the work of the ministry that God has called you to do or it is going to die in your life and it just becomes this old stale book, this old stale bread, this molded manna. There's a daily walk with God. There's a daily intentionality. There's a daily surrender. There's a daily moving toward what God has called you to do, to grow up in his standard and live for his kingdom, or there's death. There's only those two. And many would follow the standard of the world or the standard of an apostate church or the standard of man before they would come to God. So he's weeping. Well, why is he weeping? Because the Syria's getting ready to attack. The enemy's coming. And he knows it. And he knows what, what we see up there. Uh, we're uh, up in verse 7. That under Jehoaz, Jehoaz only had 50 horses and 10 chariots and 10,000 foot soldiers. Because God allowed the enemy to attack. God allowed the enemy to destroy the armies. God allows your strongholds to be torn down so you've got no place to go but to God. When the enemy rushes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard. But the people of God keep turning to man. They keep turning to some other place. They don't turn to the word of God and to the wisdom of God and to the spirit of God. We keep turning to Egypt for help. And so God weakens us and weakens us and weakens us. And he takes it from us. And he's saying, turn to me. Because the word of God is dying in your life. And you're going to face perilous times. It's going to become perilous. And you can go read that ugly definition of what it looked like in the church. In 2 Timothy 3. Lovers of self. Not lovers of God, lovers of self, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And it tells us that from such, turn away. Don't fellowship with them. 
they're not godly. It's like the northern tribes. See, they're trying to fellowship with them. They're trying to be at peace with them. And what happens? It pulls them down. We have to listen to what God is saying or it pulls us down. Elisha. So he says, oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and their horsemen. Now, chariots are like tanks. They're power. So he's talking about the power. And then the horseman is, listen, the horseman, the driver of the chariot is the horseman. Not the horses, the horseman. Who's driving the power of God? He's looking at him as the power of God to save the nation, but he's not looking to God as the one who's sinning. And it's the same thing that we do. We look at the Word of God, and sometimes we think we know the Word of God, but we, do we have a personal relationship with the living Word of God, where we're listening to the Spirit of God, being led by the Spirit of God, being taught by the Spirit of God? Or is God dying? Now, that I, everything I read about it was talking about, oh, this is the strength. This is the strength, and this is talking about he's worried he's going to lose the war. And he might be because he's not serving God. He's more worried about his own kingdom, his own relationship, his own self. He's not worried about the people of the nation. He's only worried about himself. That's all he's cared about. That's, that's a selfish, ungodly attitude that serves idols that acts like that. So he could be paying respect to the word of God and ignoring the God of the word. He can be looking at the prophet and going, this is my good luck charm. But even in this, listen to me, this, this is the apostate northern tribes. Remember, God delivered Jehoaz, but left him weak. And again, God is still helping the, his people. These are still his people. And he's having grace and mercy upon them, and he's still helping them. And so the prophet is still true. The word of God is still true. Elisha is still the man of God that's anointed for God for this nation at this time, even though they're worshiping golden calves. So what does he say to him in 15? Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. What do you think he should do? Follow the instruction. Listen. You're worried about the nation. You're worried about the Syrians. You're worried about the enemy coming in like a flood. The Spirit's going to raise up a standard. The standard's always going to be the Word of God that gives the instruction of what you're supposed to be as a person of God, as a child of God, as a Christian in God's house. So you're supposed to obey the Word of God. Turn your heart toward obedience to the Word of God and ask God to help you. So take a bow, get some arrows. He obeys. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Watch the pattern. 16. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And then what happens, Greg? Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Hands is power. Hands is power. It's re referring to the strength of God. So here's the king, he's obeying, he's listening, he's got the weapons of war in his hands, but here the transferring of power and confidence comes from the word of God onto the hand, what the person is doing in his obedience. The king is listening. The transfer of power doesn't come from Elisha. It comes from obeying the word of God. 
You're disobedient to the Word of God. The Spirit of God is quenched. You obey the Word of God. The transfer can come, but it's not coming from Elisha. It's God. It's not from the teacher. It's from God. We always have to remember to get past the physical and get back to the spiritual, which is God. And what we do, we stop short. We go, man, that's a good, man, that's a, and I like their church. They got a good children's ministry, and they got a, and they got a food bank that's full of stuff, and their pastor, he's really dynamic, and he went to so-and-so school, and we look at man instead of the Spirit of God raising up a standard for the people of God to take care of them. So we put our eyes in the wrong place for the strength of God. And we have a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. It looks like we're following God, but we're really serving idols instead of having a relationship. But here goes the king. He does this. He obeys Elisha, the prophet who brings the word of God, puts his hands on there. So you have a, a place where they touch and he can have confidence now that the person he thinks is given the strength is touching him hand-to-hand, -hand, transferring of faith, transferring of power. I believe God's on my side now. 17, and he said, open the east window. What's he do? He obeyed. He opened the east window. Now, the east window is going out toward the Transjordan. It's going out towards Syria's that. We're looking in that direction. Now, where the enemy's coming in from, this is the standard that the Spirit is giving to the prophet to speak to uh, Joash, who is a idol worshiper. He's an apostate king given to the northern tribes by God. Because that's what they wanted. He opened it. Notice he's obeying. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. Notice he's obeying. I just got to let you see this. Now watch what happens. And he said, who said? Elisha said, the arrow of the Lord's salvation, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Now listen to me. I want you to grasp this because this is kind of like, wow. To me it was anyway. Notice that he obeyed him, he obeyed him, he obeyed him. He shoots the arrow and then the prophet who gives the word of God tells exactly what the arrow was about. What was this sign about? This is the arrow, the strength of the Lord's deliverance. And the, and the word deliverance does mean salvation. It's the rescue. It's interesting. It's the same word as deliverer. Because God, you know, is going to send... Oh my goodness, what is it? Uh, Psalm 16, he's going to shoot an arrow and destroy these who have perfected a shrewd scheme. The Bible tells us about this government and these people that are in the world today that have perfected a shrewd scheme. They're the enemy that's attacking. It's, it's the Antichrist. It's the, it's the devil. He's attacking to control the masses and take over and destroy. But God's going to shoot an arrow and rescue us. That arrow is still the same standard. It's Jesus. 
We don't want to be listening to them. We want to be listening to the word of God. So it's rescue. It means it can, you can rescue uh, persons or na and nations. You can rescue physically or spiritually with this word. It's a deliverance. It's help. It's safety. It actually means, and I like this the best, it's the victory. You get the victory. That's what overcomers are. It's victorious. That's what we've been talking about in 1 John on Sunday morning. So it's the same thing. And here goes the arrow. And, and you can see it. And, but notice the commentary behind the arrow. Listen to this. is very important. Because if you have a relationship with God, you're getting the commentary. If you have a relationship with God, you're getting the application. If you're just following the letter of the law, you miss you miss the application. You miss the part of faith. You miss what you're supposed to be doing. Watch this. He should have, with a relationship, he would have got this. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek. What is that? That's their fortress. Aphek means an enclosure. It's in their strength. It's their fortress. You have to attack them there till you have harmed them, hurt them hit them. No, destroyed. Do you see the word there, destroyed? Till you have destroyed them. In the King James, it's consumed them. They're finished. There's a riddance. They're gone. The enemy's gone. Listen to me. This is very important. To destroy them. Right? He gave the commentary. The other ones, he just said, do it, and he did it. Now he gave a commentary of what needs to happen and then, 18, he said, take the arrows. So he took them. He's obeying still. And he said to the king of Israel, we're still talking about Joash, strike the ground. Smite, King James, the ground. Eries, not the same ground that you might think. It just means the ground. Actually, it means, I looked it up. The earth. The wilderness, the world, it can mean the whole world, all the land mass. Here we go. Strike the ground. So he struck it three times and stopped. Did anybody hear the word of God tell him to stop? The last instruction he has was strike the ground. But he has no heart for faith. He has no heart for battle. He has no heart for God. He's just listening to the basic instructions. So he just hits it three times and stops. There's no real intentionality. There's no, but he was just told, for you must strike until you destroy. And that's the application. You have to keep fighting. You have to keep moving forward. Now, again, we know the battle is the Lord's. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. So we have to keep standing. This king strikes three times and stops. Well, nobody told him to stop. So he began to disobey the word of God. The last instruction he got was to strike the ground. He should have kept striking the ground until the man of God told him to stop striking. Stop smiting. You've got to fully destroy the enemy. See, what happens with most Christians is they start well, but they don't finish well. 
they have incomplete victory because they go, oh, I got this thing. Now I'm good. Now I can coach back in to my old life. I can go back to the American dream. I've been going to church. I got a habit. I'm no longer going to the bar. I'm no longer doing that. I've got this habit of Sunday morning feel good. And now I can go back to doing what I want to do. And they deceived themselves. Self-deception. They stopped. The Word of God didn't tell them to stop. You have to continue, abide, remain, and keep striking the ground. What happened with the Word of God, the prophet of God? And the man of God was angry with him. Really? Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. But righteous indignation is not a bad thing when you know people are ignoring God and being obedient to him. He was angry with him. He wasn't angry at something else. He was angry at the one who disobeyed and had no heart for faith, no heart to follow, no heart to keep moving, was only looking at the man and not at God in a relationship that's living and active and continuing. It's growing. And it's going, it's abiding and continuing and remaining because the enemy is still attacking and he's not going to sleep or slumber. He came to rob, kill, and destroy and he will kill you if you don't remain vigilant. Your adversary goes about like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. But why did Jesus come? John 3, 8, 1 John 3, 8. To destroy the works of the devil to destroy the works of the enemy that's what he was supposed to be doing destroying Syria the attack you guys know that Syria is still a big big deal right now Syria is a big deal Syria that's where they're gonna attack Israel from come out of Syria out of Damascus uh, out of that area with Russia and, and four Muslim countries, at least, they're going to attack Israel. God's chosen, God's firstborn nation. Syria means exalted, doesn't it? Let me look. Yeah, Aram, it's exalted, the highland, son of Shem. Listen, he stopped. The word of God didn't tell him to stop. So the man of God was angry. Well, I can't be angry with you, can I? Because you came down here crying for me because you knew I was sick till death. He was angry. It actually means to crack off. I don't know what that means even. To crack off? To burst out in rage? He was displeased? He had wrath for him because he stopped? That's pretty interesting in itself. And he said to him, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. <clears throat> but now you shall strike Syria only three times. Think about it for a minute. Do we have a heart to, to fight? A heart for God? Uh, do we have faith in God? Are we just ready to stop? I've done enough. I'm okay. I'm good. Let's just settle in here. Man, I'm glad that Jesus didn't do that. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Take me down. Don't stab me with a spear. I'm good. No, serious. I mean, it's he, he gave it all with intentionality, by faith. He trusted God that he was going to raise him from the dead. And until the word of God tells you to stop, you should keep going. You should keep growing. You should stay in the word, prayer, and fellowship and keep moving forward until we reach the end. And he says, it's finished. Enter into my rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now you can stop. Elisha died. Well, listen to me. Joash, who is a worshiper of idols, had no faith really to go forward. He just didn't want to be destroyed. He wanted to keep being important and keep being the king. Keep worshiping his golden calves. And he ended up with incomplete victory. And that's what most Christians do. They end up with incomplete victory. <clears throat> They settle up for good when they could have had God's best. If they would just keep running the race. Keep running the race. Learn to be disciplined and keep going. And keep looking to build the relationship with God. Then Elisha died. And they buried him. Now, don't you guys think it's interesting that we're never shown that Elijah actually, or excuse me, that Elisha actually had a, an apprentice? That he actually, God didn't say, okay, Elisha, you're going to die. Go choose. Because we've seen that with Elijah. The Lord is God. And then we see God is salvation. Oh, that's enough. We're finished, right? It's over with. That's all we need to know, right? The Lord is God, and he is salvation. Isn't that really what man needs to know? Those two things? Isn't that what the word of God delivers to us? The Lord is God? Well, well, what do you mean the Lord is God? Well, he created, he spoke, he sent his word, and he tells us everything. He never tries to prove who he is. He just tells you that. So Elijah, the first prophet who brought the word of God, tells us the Lord is God. And his follow-up is he's salvation, too. If you've fallen down, listen to him. Follow the instructions. And don't stop. Keep following. If you want to have complete victory. Now, I believe that positionally we're completely finished. But I believe practically that we have to keep the intensity, keep the fire burning. By staying into the word prayer and fellowship. By, by going out and doing the work of the ministry or you grow into this complacency and you become you, you become relaxed and you forget about who God is and what you're called to do and that you've been called out of the world and you're back living in the world and you think you're okay when you really have stopped living for God. And the enemy is going to rush in and kill you because you've ignored the standard that God raised up. Did I ever mention... Isaiah 59, 19, that when the enemy rushes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. 
I don't know if I remember if I did it in here or in our memory verse, but I wanted to make sure you know that. Elisha died, and they buried him. Wow. Wasn't Elisha the prophet who was bringing the word of God? Now, who was getting the word of God now? Where would they get it from? Watch this. It's really good. And the raiding bands from Moab. Wait a minute. We were talking about Syria. Aram. Now Moab is attacking. Remember, Moab is, is relatives. It's from Lot's incestuous, incestuous relationship with his daughter. And you got the Moabites. And it's the spring of the year. See, in the spring of the year. What happens in the spring of the year? Everybody knows. That's when war happens. So you don't want chariots out in the winter and the mud. You, you bring them in the spring of the year. It's like, let's go kill something. And you start attacking. So it's not just the enemy. The Syrians are coming. But now God is allowing other relatives to come. Other people to attack. Other things to hit them. So now other things are hitting them. And they're at a funeral. Look at this. So it was. They were burying a man. They're at a funeral. They're burying a man, and they suddenly they seen the enemy coming, the band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elijah. They just said, throw him down in there. Because the enemy was coming, they had to rush away. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, just touched. God's salvation, God is salvation. He revived and stood on his feet. Isn't that amazing? He come to life. To make alive. Restore to life. To be whole. To give promise. So, listen. Listen. God's not dead. The word of God's not dead. And even in death, he brings life through those that have life and that trust in the promises of God and it's a picture of Christ when we as 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 men are crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live but I'm in the grave now I'm crucified with him crucifixion means death and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith confident trust in God knowing who he is In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If I touch his death, if I touch upon his crucifixion and his death, I get life. If I go into his grave, I have life. I'm going to revive. What am I going to do when I revive? I'm going to stand in his victory on my feet. I'm going to have identity. And I'm not going to follow the standard of somebody else. I'm going to follow the standard of the word of God. Even in this death, look at the power that comes through Elisha, the man of God. Now listen, because there is some ugly stuff that can come out of this, because there are those heathens that are idol worshipers that are doing grave soaking because of verses like this. Have you heard of grave soaking? They think that I can be a more power. See, this is where all this nonsense comes from, because they're looking at the man of God and not the God of the man. They're looking at the man that God used and not the God who used the man. You gotta always remember it's God, it's not the man. Unless it's the God man, Jesus. And what they do is they go, hey, you know what we'll do? 
Let's go lay on the grave of old saints and we'll lay there and ask God to fill us with a double portion of the spirit of the man that's in the grave. You don't want anything to do with the man because you'll miss the God who sent the man. The power that was behind the man. If you're going to lay on any grave, you want to lay on the grave of the crucifixion Lord Jesus Christ and be crucified with him. And you can't find it. You don't have it. It's a spiritual thing that you reckon the old man dead and you're crucified with Christ. Listen to me. That's what being born again is. You stay in the grave and you have life because you stay in the grave. He touched you. You touch him. I and you, you and me, you bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing because you stopped and you started with the nonsense. You turned. And when you turn to that nonsense, you turned away from God. Listen, it isn't real hard stuff. It's my heart wants to follow you, God. Help me. Don't let me be deceived. And you begin to read the word of God and build a relationship. And if your heart is really doing that, he doesn't let you run off too far. He'll spank your butt and bring you right back into his house. Because he takes good care of his children. And he brings life out of death. Twenty-two. And Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. What? Jehovah has seized. Took him and used him for his own glory to show his power upon the earth. Now notice he didn't allow them to possess him, just oppress them. It's a nation. They weren't possessed. They weren't in bondage. They weren't taken captive. They didn't lose the war. They still had their country, but they were oppressed all the days of Jehoaz. Think about that for a minute because the same thing can happen in the life of a person. You can be oppressed by a spirit, oppressed by your own flesh and live this way and still not be possessed by a demon or some other thing but you can be oppressed to press, to seize to afflict, to crush by force you can have all these things going on of oppression in your life because you won't continue in the standard you won't continue to look to the word of God and trust in the God of the word and have a relationship by the spirit of God. So he's oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz, but the Lord was what? Gracious. You say gracious, right? Gracious. Yeah. And had compassion. Now what's grace? Remember that? Gracious is the favor. It means to bend and stoop in kindness to someone who's inferior. Right? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It means to have pity on someone. Think about this for me. I always think about when Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And if you looked at it from manly's, man's world... Pharaoh ruled in the whole world. But Pharaoh didn't know God. Jacob knew God. 
and he blessed Pharaoh instead of Pharaoh blessing Jacob. Listen, it's the same thing with grace. If you was looking at from a, from a worldly standard, you would think the inferior was Jacob. But Jacob was blessing the one that looked like to man was superior. But Jacob knew God, so that makes him the superior. And he's the one giving out the blessings. Here, God is giving grace and had compassion. Compassion actually means to love. Compassion means, it implies to love and to show mercy. And regarded them, uh-oh, regarded means had respect on them, turned the face toward them. Who did? The Lord did. Why? Because of his covenant with Abraham, father of many nations, Isaac laughed, Jacob, supplanter and deceiver. I thought it was funny. I was looking at it. I was like, here's the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father of many who laughed at liars and deceivers. I, it's just weird to me. Father of a multitude, father of many nations, he laughs at liars and deceivers. He laughs. Isn't that what the Psalm 2 says? That they, 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 why does the nation rage and they plot a vain thing? Because God sits and laughs at them. Their fleshly games, the things that they do apart from God's standard, he laughs at them. There's no wisdom or counsel against God. But here's what I wanted you to see. It was because of the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he would not destroy them or cast them out from his presence. Do you guys understand that covenant? That he made with Abraham in Genesis 15? Abraham fell asleep and God walked through the dead animals by himself. He made an oath to himself. He promised upon himself. Man can't keep their part of the covenant apart from God. God makes the covenant with God and then God comes down and dies so that man can be part of the covenant. And we can keep our part through the righteous blood of Jesus Christ, but in the flesh, we just need to keep hitting the ground by faith turning back to God and saying Lord that is me I am that man thank you for your grace he didn't keep the covenant because Abraham Isaac and Jacob were great guys he didn't keep the covenant because of Israel and the nation he kept the, the promise because he's a faithful God and he made the promise to himself because of who he is and he can't relent and Haziel king of Syria died so we had the word of God die the enemy died then ben his second uh, Ben Hadad the second uh, his son reigned in his place and Jehoaz the son of Jehoaz recaptured from the hand of Ben Hadad he even had some victories in this because of God's grace he gets some credit for some things he recaptures some cities that were taken from his father by war three times Jehoash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel why because three times was the faith he put into it three times was the work he put into it three times was how many times he struck the ground because the word of God doesn't lie the word of God will always do exactly what it says it's going to do God can't lie so he did he, he defeated him three times recaptured some cities 
but he never fully destroyed the enemy because he didn't keep getting to the ground. Where's your faith at today? Where's your heart at today? Do you want to go onward and upward? Do you want to keep hitting the ground? Do you want to keep your nose on the throne of God? Do you want to build the relationship? Do you have a heart to be the person of God that he's called you to be and keep following him with intentionality? I mean, it's not being perfect. It's saying, that's me. I confess, Lord. I agree, Lord. I want to say the same thing about my life that you said, Lord. But I want to keep going. I don't want to fall asleep over here and chase the world. We have to be moving forward and listening to the word of God. Not just in law and obeying the instruction, but in relationship. So we understand that when he says destroy, you keep hitting, you keep going, you keep standing, you keep abiding, continuing, and remaining in the victory that Christ has wrought for us on the cross. Two simple prophets. The Lord is God and God is salvation. That pretty much sums it all up, doesn't it? That's it. The Lord is God and God is salvation. There's no other name by which men can be saved but the name of Christ Jesus. And one day, one day, every knee will bow to the praise of his glory. One day. All because of his great love and he made the covenant and he fulfills the covenant and all we have to do is surrender and keep pursuing this great love grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ don't let other things distract you don't be worshiping self and idols and being seduced by the enemy or bewitched like the foolish Galatians who turn from God so quickly Father, thank you for your word, for your mercy, for your grace, for this compassion. Lord, we know you're devising ways to draw your banished ones back. How often you wanted to gather the nation of Israel like a mother hen gathers her chickens, but they were not willing. Lord, make us willing. Help us to be willing to follow you. And Lord, help us to listen and obey and keep striking the ground against the enemy. And don't let him build a foothold that becomes a stronghold in our lives. Tear down the fortresses. Tear down the walls. And raise up your standard. And help us to wave the flag of victory. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.